Hey. Hello. Welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. This is Bren. And this is Kelsey. Um, as always, we're going to start off the show with a review of the coffee we're drinking today. Kels, you want to tell us what we're <laughs> drinking? Because I can't really pronounce it correctly for some reason. Yeah, it's a toughie. Um, okay, so it's called Kauai Coffee. And the flavor that we have today is caramel coconut? Coconut caramel crunch. Ah, ah! I haven't tried it yet. Brynn always does a little taste test. <laughs> And I wait. I can't help myself. I'm a coffee addict. <laughs> I wait until we start so you know my reactions are true. Oh, well, mine's true, too. <laughs> I'm not going to lie about it. <laughs> Anyways. So, oh, this one is so good, though. <laughs> yeah. So this company we also kind of fell in love with after doing a little bit of research. Um, they're very sustainable. You could, I could tell as soon as she opened up the pods. It's like those pods that don't... It's just like the Compostable. filter. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're really sustainable though, and I read on their website that they actually have the largest drip irrigation coffee estate in the world with over 25,000 or 2,500 miles of tube dripping, which is insane. insane. (laughs) And it's located in Hawaii. So they're really, really conscious about everything. They also have a big composting, um, situation. They do a lot of composting on their plant there, but yeah. I mean, it looks like their website in case anyone wants to check it out, like all the info. Yeah. So if you want to check it out, their website is kwaicoffee.com. K-A-U-A-I coffee.com. Not only are they eco-friendly, it's fucking delicious. Okay. I'm going to try try it. (laughs) It's so good. First sip. And it has a little bit of hazelnut creamer in it because what coffee... Isn't it wow. good? Isn't it good? Mm. <laughs> um, it's really coconutty, and I love that. Yeah. I like... I don't like when stuff has too much caramel in it. Yeah. Um, it's like just a hint. It's too sweet. Yeah, it's just a hint. I yeah. think this is, like, one of my new favorite coffees, to be honest. Like, I love the coconut taste. I like how the aftertaste is still, yeah. like, coconutty. Like, it's not, like... Eh. How much was it? Um, I think I bought a case of pods... There might have been 12 pods in it. Mm. I think it was 8 bucks. Wow. Yeah. So cheap, and you got it from... And eco-friendly. Walmart? I got it from Weiss today. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but I'm sure they carry it, like, everywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm a but, fan. Yeah, I'm it, like, looked fan. really good. Like, it sounded, like, really good, and I'm like, oh, it's from Hawaii. It's probably really freaking amazing. Yeah. And... It is. It I is. give it an A+. plus. Yeah, like, top-notch in our book, yeah. I think. I agree. Um... So, yeah, do you want to get started? Oh, I said before, like, just to, like, throw it out there while we're drinking coffee, what coffee can you think of that doesn't taste good with with hazelnut creamer? I was Mm. thinking about it today, and I'm like, hazelnut creamer literally goes well with every freaking coffee. I actually even put it in hazelnut coffee. (laughs) Yeah. No, same. I don't know. Maybe, like, a mocha one. Maybe that would be weird. But then again, it's, like, nutty. hazelnut mocha like that's like I don't know I don't know yeah hey if if you could think of one DM us yeah let us know if you tried a coffee that tastes shitty with hazelnut cream yeah and but if you don't like hazelnut creamer to begin with don't don't DM us yeah please don't (laughs) because we're huge fans yeah okay so we're gonna get started with today's episode so grab your coffee and have a morning with us so before we start I want to clarify what I just meant I wasn't saying, I wasn't saying, 
don't DM us if you don't like hazelnut creamer. <laughs> I'm not like I think shaming they, people who don't like hazelnut creamer. I, I just they got mean, it. Yeah, I just mean don't give us, don't tell us, oh, hazelnut creamer doesn't taste good in this. If, if you, you don't, don't like, like it. it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. She just had to put that out there, yeah. you know. I don't want to get freaking like bashed. <laughs> I don't know. We hate hazelnut creamer <laughs> and crime cults and coffee. So, what? 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 Huh? Wait, we're in the. Okay, we fixed it. Okay. So today, we're really excited because we're doing something a little bit different. We're so excited. <laughs> yeah. I'm so fucking excited. Yeah. Uh, we decided that this week we wanted to break things up a little and add in some spooky. I'm rubbing my hands together <laughs> very slowly. <laughs> so instead of covering a case or a cult... This week, we're covering haunted places. And the best part is, we didn't tell each other which cases, or which places we looked at. No. Yeah. So, we each prepared two haunted places that the other person does not know about. Yeah. And I'm I'm so excited to tell (laughs) you. Because it's insane. Me too. All right. Let's get started. Okay. So, you want me to start first? Sure. Okay. My first haunted place is... Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. Oh my gosh, an amusement park? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this amusement park is located in Princeton, West Virginia, and I'm going to tell a little bit about the history of it first, and why... the, The interesting thing about this place is there has been haunted things that have happened nowadays... But they also consider this place haunted because of the scary or traumatizing things that have happened with its past. Ew. Yeah. So they're like, this place is just all around haunted. It's haunted now because of the things that have happened, but the things that have happened, like, was it cursed, basically. Oh my god. (laughs) So I'm excited. Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. The Shawnee tribe, which were Native Americans, lived on the property for more than 2,000 years. There's a whole Shawnee history with it. Chief Cornstalk was from 1720 to 1777. His actual name was, I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong. That's okay. Lesqua, which means stalk of corn. So that's where they got the Chief Cornstalk from. Oh, okay. Uh, there was... Also, oh, and he was an advocate, an advocate for peace. So, under his time there, he he was involved in some wars and stuff, but he became like a hardcore advocate for peace. Mm-hmm. And then there was Tecumseh, Tecumseh, Tecumseh. I think. Yeah, you learn a, you've learned about him in history yeah. class. Very, very like popular, well-known Native American. That sounds familiar. From or Tecumseh. That's how I have it written with the hmm. pronunciation. He was also in that area from 1768 to 1813. His name meant Shooting Star or Blazing Comet. And he was a Native American Shawnee warrior and chief, and he promoted tribal unity. So, basically, he wanted tribes to come together and, like, resolve issues all together. And what came along with them, basically, I don't have a whole full book full-blown history of this, but what came along with their part in it was it was the site at this time, the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park, was a site of brutal Indian massacre. Oh my god. Which is off, like, absolutely awful. Yeah. Wow. Because people were coming in and colonizing and taking over and 
also just between tribes and stuff, which yeah. Tecumseh was trying to prevent. There was brutal Indian massacre all at over this the land. At the amusement park? Yeah, on this land. Oh, my God. Okay. So then, fast forward, we have the Mitchell Clay family. Mitchell and Phoebe Clay were the first English settlers of Mercer County in 1775. They had an 800-acre farm and raised 14 children on this farm. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's how it was. Oh, my God. Jesus. In 1783, a tribe came in, I'm assuming because their land was taken over. Yeah. Or maybe it was just some bad people. Not yeah. really sure. A uh, tribe came in and killed two of the children. So, basically, Mitchell Clay was out hunting, and he came back and found two of his children murdered oh by God. tribe members. Their names were Tabitha and Bartley Clay. Oh. So then, he also realized that one of his boys, Ezekiel, was kidnapped. Oh my so God. the tribe also kidnapped him. And he was found burned at the stake. Oh, God. Yeah. So, Mitchell Clay tracked down several Native Americans and ended up killing them for the murder of his children. Mm -hmm. And th these three children were buried on the land. Jesus. That's right. a recipe for a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. If you want haunted children. <laughs> little coast children. Yeah. So, fast forward again 144 years later. Damn. Conley T. Snidno, this was around eight, or he was alive from 1889 to 1978. This is in the 1920s. He's a businessman in the area. He's a local entrepreneur. He purchased the property in the 1920s and decided to turn the grassy land into a carnival. Uh, basically, families in the area needed entertainment because coal fields and, like, coal mining... The population was booming in that area. Mm. So not only were workers coming in to coal mine, they were bringing their families with them. And he's like, they need something to, like, do for fun with their families. Yeah. And especially, like, back then, kids were helping with the coal mining. These kids also needed, like, a little release. Yeah. So he ended up building this amusement park. And he also shaped the lake where if you go there nowadays, you could still see, like... The shape, the, the shape of the lake is what, it was man-made, so he made that. Oh my god. Yeah. That's isn't that, crazy. That, <laughs> wait, he himself? He, like, literally, I read, like, I think he had tracked or pulled or something like that and shaped the lake. Oh my god. Yeah. So, he built this amusement park. There were circular swings, a water slide, a dance hall, a pool, canoes in the pond, a racetrack, a concession stand... There were cabins, possibly a speakeasy, I read, Ooh. which is pretty cool. Like, all those coal miners on <laughs> that kind of place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were paddle boats on the lake and a Ferris wheel. He opened in 1926 and operated for 40 years. It closed in 1966. During this time that the park was open, six visitors died. Holy shit, that's During the park's run. Yeah, and... I read conflicting things in different places. I'm pretty positive from what I read that the six people that died were all children. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, oh, my God. I'm not even going to say it. Go ahead. What? On. Say it. The kids that were buried wanted friends. Oh. That's what I, I didn't even think of that. That's what I was thinking. Oh, that's sad. 
Two deaths were known in detail. Oh. So, in the early 1950s, a little girl was killed on the swing ride, and this is absolutely awful. A truck delivering sodas accidentally backed into the ride and hit her Holy while she was on the swing. Shit. Yeah. Oh, God, that's terrible. And we're wondering why they think this place is cursed. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah that's terrible. Like, how does that's that like even happen? like a freak happen? accident. Yeah. Poor thing. Yeah. Oh. And then, I don't know when this happened, but a nine-year-old boy also drowned, and I read, again, conflicting things, whether it was a pond or a swimming pool. The swimming pool one said his mom basically, like, dropped him off for the day, because that's mm-hmm. what you do back then, and she came to pick him up, and she was like, where the hell's my kid? And he was he was left unattended, and he was sucked down into the drain, the swimming pool drain, by his arm. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. That's what I read with the pool situation, if it was the swimming pool, and I read that in multiple places, so. Okay, this is gonna sound so weird. What? But I had a dream of that happening to my brother. I'm not kidding. And when? I, like, probably, like, a year ago. Are you fucking kidding me? And I woke up, and I was terrified it was like we were like skydiving or something and we landed in like this pond and he got sucked down the drain Ew, stop was the pond in i don't know let me just recall <laughs> that dream no i don't know but that's fucked up i honestly was always terrified as a little kid of getting my hair caught like in the pool in drain it? at Ugh. the bottom of a pool yeah. yeah oh my god that's like the worst way to die yeah. and oh like no one noticed until his mom showed up <clears throat> like that's fucked up Wow. So, after this happened, the pool was filled in to prevent further accidents. I guess they, like, wanted to cover their asses. Good call. Yeah. So, it had a reputation with all this stuff happening. And either that or the coal mines closing and workers being laid off led to the park closing. Mm -hmm. So, don't know if it's because people were like, oh my god, six people have died here, we're not going here anymore. Or if it's because people just started, like, leaving the area, things died down. Yeah. Like, coal mining wasn't a thing anymore. Like, the economy wasn't as much there. Right. So then it sat abandoned for 20 years after it closed in 1966. So fast forward to the 1980s. In 1985, a former employee, Gaylord White, bought the property. He discovered... Wait, do I want to get to into that yet? Uh, no, okay. So, <laughs> so that, like, hmm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let me let me let me hold out for a little bit longer. <laughs> so, in summer of 1987, it failed to draw in enough visitors and closed. Oh, so he kept it open as like a park. Yeah. So 1980. Well, I had read in some places it only opened for a year, and then I read in other places that it opened for three years. Okay. But. He tried to run it as a park for a little while, wasn't getting enough guests closed. Mm -hmm. So he decided, basically because of this, he wanted to, since he still, like, owned the property, oh, I'm going to turn it into, like, real estate. I'm going to build houses or development. Yeah, like, property, like, development property building. So then um, they started digging to... For future neighborhoods. Oh, my God. And they discovered the park was built on top of ancient Native American graves and <gasps> Indian burial ground. No wonder <laughs> this place was fucking haunted. Yeah. So, Ew. this is in 1988 when they found these Native American graves. How many? So, 13 skeletons were uncovered, mostly young children. Oh, God. But 
they basically stopped and there's estimated to contain hundreds. Why'd they stop? Because they didn't want to disturb the burial grounds. Oh, right. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd they stop? Let's just bring all these people. Yeah. So that, from there, they're like, oh, was this what it was all along? A cursed burial ground? Oh, my God. That's definitely what it was. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. But there's more. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So, instead of building the community lots, he left the burial ground as is, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. and the rides were left intact. What? So, he didn't tear down any of the old rides. He just left it as is. Great idea for stupid kids, I bet. So, <laughs> here are some eerie things that have happened since at Lake Shawnee. People hear footsteps, mysterious chants, the sound of children... Swings will move on their own. Um, a TV crew member that went there because a lot of we'll get I'll get into this a little further down, but basically like paranormal experts and paranormal TV shows go and mm. film there and stuff. And a TV crew member got locked inside like an old shabby ticket booth, but the doors don't lock. What the on f- the ticket booth? Fuck. <laughs> Somebody, some ghostly person was holding it. Yeah. And they were like straight up locked in there. Ew. Yeah. So, Jewel and Gaylord White had, have seen spirits there. Of course. Yeah. And then Ezekiel, the little boy that was burned at the stake. Yeah. Will stand by the burial site. And they've verified this through like pictures of him like they what? know what he looks like and they're like that's Ezekiel I have the chills <laughs> I have full body chills yeah. what the hell yeah and then Tabitha one of the little children that was um like murdered by the mm-hmm. Native American tribe walks a creepy path and there's like a um oh, I can't think of the name right now like a groundskeeper who's like I will not go down that fucking path Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, there's also visions of a little girl playing on the swings in a pink ruffled dress. And rumor has it that the little girl that died on the swings was in a pink ruffled dress. I heard something about, like, spirits come... Actually, when I was researching this case, about, like, spirits staying where they died. Uh Uh-huh. And it was either... Like, it, most most of the time, the reason is because they were very young when they died. They died in a traumatic way or something else that I don't remember. But, like, that would make sense. You're a little girl. Ugh. And you, you die on the swing set? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And in a traumatizing way. Yeah. Yeah. So, children are also seen near the Ferris wheel or riding the Ferris wheel. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> I just can't. I'm never going. I want to, though, but I don't. Well, I'll get into that at the end. If you want to go, you kind of can. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Chains rattle and doors creak when there's no wind. Okay. Ew. They don't think... Well, this is from the... Either it was a guy who gives tours there or it was the groundskeeper. I couldn't really, like, figure out, but he seems to be there, like, a lot. 
he was talking about his perspective on it, and he said he doesn't think they're evil or angry. Mm-hmm. He thinks maybe it's some type of spirit portal that's there. And, like, what? people, like, come and go as they please. Oh I don't know. God. What if he's a spirit? <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> I'm scared of the pod. <laughs> so, I'm also going to read a visitor story that oh. I found on... WV, meaning West Virginia, mm-hmm. lakeshawnee.com. And that's their website, wvlakeshawnee.com. So this is a lady named Teresa Quinn, and she wrote this this year. Oh, my God. We visited Lake Shawnee today and took dozens of pictures, but one stood out from the rest. My 14-year-old son wanted a picture in the driver's seat, and so I took several shots, and so did my husband with his phone. Only one picture came up with what looks like a face over my son's left shoulder, This does not appear in any of the other photos. Our guide told us to take multiple shots of the same thing in hopes of catching something, and he was right. I can't help but notice the resemblance in this ghostly picture. Dot, dot, dot. What? (laughs) Yeah. Do you have it? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think she posts for that. Unless that's it. Oh, my God. No. They have, like, but they have, like, tons of videos and, like... Of people going there? Like, paranormal people (gasps) going there. And then, like, um, they have also on on the WV Lake Shawnee site. It's really cool. They have... That's where... There's more in-depth of the people behind, like, the history behind it, like, the tribe yeah. leaders and the so, people who bought it and all they that. do, like, tours and stuff there? So, oh. paranormal tours happen throughout the year. You can also call and make a private tour appointment if you <laughs> want to. <laughs> they also have this thing called a dark carnival. What? It's in October, Every Friday and Saturday night for the month of October, it starts at dusk when you can just see the outline of the old rides. Okay, we need to go. <laughs> I know. We need to fucking go. As soon as I read this, I was like, first of all, it's called a fucking dark carnival. Yes. Like, I'm in, and you're only allowed to go when you can see, like, the creepy outlines of these rides from the 1980s. Do you know how much shit would happen if we went there? I know. I'm so excited. We need to go. I know. We have to. So, at this dark carnival, people tell Lake Shawnee stories about visiting uh, the park when it was opened or strange occurrences that happened to them while they were there. Oh, my God. I said, oh, my God, probably three times. <laughs> That's, instead of likes and ums, this episode's, oh, my God. <laughs> but just get used to it. <laughs> so, the good thing also about this dark carnival is it raises money for charity. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, during this, they also give tours of, like, the entire place and the burial sites and everything. Oy. Yeah. They have a bonfire where you can, like, sit around and tell stories and stuff. They have a haunted trail through a corn maze. Oh, God. With creepy clowns That's, in it. <laughs> no, that is the trail that the little girl walks down. I know it. And it's called Lake Nightmare. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there's creepy, there's creepy clowns in it. I think that would scare me more than the freaking ghost. The actual ghost. You can no, also, don't tell me you that. You can also camp out if you dare. Ew. I think I would I want to. I don't think I would dare. I don't know. And you can visit the burial grounds, like I said. It's called the Haunted History Tour. And they ask you to bring an offering with you to pay respect, which I think is, like, so nice. Oh. Yeah. And it's probably just, like... I'm leaving you this 
Don't. <laughs> I would go way overboard. Yeah. Like, here's a cake. Here's fucking edible arrangement. <laughs> here's my whole life savings. Yeah. So, that pretty much sums up the whole thing that I could find with Lake Shawnee. Whoa. I just have some TV shows that it's been featured on if anyone wants to, like, binge watch TV shows tonight yes. and see, like, more at the actual place because I'm... That's what I want to do is watch, like, Same. people who have gone there for par- paranormal stuff. So, it's been on Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America in 2010. It was on Discovery Channel's Ghost Lab, ABC's 10 Most Haunted Places in the World, Scariest Places on Earth in 2002 on ABC Family, which is now Freeform. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just throwing that out there. Nice plug. <laughs> Sponsor me. <laughs> and, and paranormal series uh, called The Most Terrifying Places on Travel Channel again in 2019. So I guess they kind of like shortened and switched up their name a bit. Instead of Terrifying Places in America, it was Most Terrifying Places. Whoa. Yeah. That so, was a good one. Yeah, it was good. I like that one. I liked it too. Crazy. Really? I think like the coolest part about it would be going there and like seeing this abandoned amusement park that, that also has creepy shit that comes along with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. We need to go. Yeah. Maybe next year. Yeah. When COVID maybe isn't around. Yep. And I'll make sure to include like the links to their website and where you can buy if you are interested in going to the Dark Carnival where you can buy tickets. Whoa. I'll include it on our Facebook. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear yours. What are you doing first? So I feel like we were connected. Oh shit. Somehow. Really? Through, like, our research. Really? Because my place is in West Virginia, too. Shut the fuck up. Sorry, I'm putting my hair up. People probably hear my voice, like, spinning around. My head She's is not turning around like the exorcist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Are you yeah. serious? So, when we go to visit the carnival, we can also go visit the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Oh, great. That will be our stay for the yeah. night. <laughs> After we visit the carnival. No, literally. We'll check in. Yeah. yeah. So, Yeah. I did the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which I'm not really fond of the name Lunatic Asylum, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's kind of fucked up, to yeah. be honest. It is kind of fucked up. I would prefer Psychiatric Asylum, yeah. but... When was this? When name. do you have... Or I'm sure you're going to tell me. Yeah. Oh, wait. I'll hold on my question. Okay. So, like I said, this is located in West Virginia. The address, for anyone wondering, is 50 South River Ave in Weston, West Virginia. And this asylum is located on a 26-acre plot of land. So it's huge. Um, So some history on the asylum. It was built between 1858 and 1881, but opened in 1864. That answers my question of why they decided to call it the Lunatic Asylum. Because it's back in the day. Okay. When they didn't have great morals. Yes. For (laughs) mentally ill people. Yeah. Okay. So, just some history on the actual asylum. It was the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America, which is pretty crazy. They brought in, uh, it was designed by an architect named Richard Andrews, and they actually brought in stone masons from Germany and Ireland to help build this asylum. Holy shit, it must have been beautiful. Yeah, so it was designed with wings and in like a staggered formation, so the patients, all patients staying there could have... Lots of therapeutic sunlight and fresh air. So this was kind of like a step in the right direction as far as how they treated mentally ill patients. Um, The ceilings were 12 feet high and there was lots of windows. 
this was actually, like I said, one of the first facilities that seemed hopeful for mental patient, patient treatment. It's too bad they didn't put more thought into the name. Yeah. There was, I know, right? That's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. There was literally 925 windows in this place. Oh my god. And right in the middle of the two wings, there was a 200 foot tall clock tower. Oh my god. It's beautiful. It sounds so beautiful. Yeah. So, originally it was designed to hold 250 patients at its, like, max capacity because mm-hmm. they wanted to give each patient, like, their own, their own room. space. Yeah. Um, the asylum was thought of by Dr. Thomas Kirkbride. He actually founded the American Psychiatric Association. So, he was one of the more humane of the practices going on during this era for psychiatric patients. He felt that they should be allowed to roam as much as possible, and that was really not what happened during this time. They usually, like, I'm thinking American Horror Story. Yeah. Yeah. They, like, locked people up, but he was very forward with the movement of mental health, and he wanted patients to have respect and, you know, be able to roam as they would kind of at home. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So, he had 73 hospitals across, across the country. And the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum renamed was renamed West Virginia Hospital for the Insane later down the road. So, Aww, But they should have let down for the insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, how about for the mentally ill? Yeah, like, that would have been nice. Um, Step it up. <laughs> so with the actual asylum, there was a farm, waterworks, gas well, and a cemetery where... Thousands of patients were actually buried in unmarked wooden coffins, so nobody knew who they were. Okay, the respect went down the drain when when that happened. Yeah, I read that after the fact, and I was like, well, damn. Like, how can you... I don't know. Yeah. Clearly, it was somewhat of a facade, I think. I know, I think so, too. I think it was more for, like... People thinking that he was like that. Yeah. I mean, not to bash someone who's, like... I mean, maybe he really was feeling that, but then he should have just thought other thing- things through more. Yeah, I agree. That's... Not... So, in 1881, the there was an increase of mental health diagnosis, and this is also when the stigma of mental health issues were increasing, too. Mm-hmm. And the asylum, at this time, started housing 500 more patients than they had originally planned for. So, they ended up putting, like, four to five patients in a room that were supposed to be made for one person. That's disgusting. It gets worse. Was he still around? Wait, when was this? 1881. Was he still around and involved in this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, mister, what happened? Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's, I think they wanted to help as many people as they could and then it just got way Yeah, but you're not, you're doing someone a disservice by, like, overloading them especially people who have mental illness where maybe they can't be in a capacity with that many people around them oh yeah like triggering that's part of it right oh my god so the dairy farm that was on the property was only intended to feed 300 people so they're at already what like 750 shut the fuck up yeah so the patients started suffering from malnutrition which made their mental illness so much worse yeah and how it was say, how can you say you're helping people at that point i really i don't get how it went south so quickly to be honest because it was it's open for a long time before anything happens like it's bad back in the back at this time in 1881 it was said that women at this time didn't have any rights and 
They could do things, um, or they were called things such as imaginary female trouble, quote-unquote, medicine to to prevent conception, quote-unquote, time of life, and disappointed affection. These are all things that were said to have women committed by their husbands to a mental health facility. That reminds me of our chicken coop murder case. Yeah, exactly. And her being put in a mental word for being annoying yeah. and badgering about her freaking These are, like, son. all made-up things. Yeah. And then a man can also have a wife in, committed to the hospital if she inherited money <laughs> or he preferred his mistress over his wife. How the fuck... How can you have your wife committed if you prefer your mistress? If that were the case, I would, be, do, I would do something where I deserve to be committed. I would chop his dick off. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, that is screwed up. Yeah. Could you I, imagine? I wouldn't actually do that to my, to my honey bunny. <laughs> Shout out to you. <laughs> but no, but really, like, at that point... You might as well act like a freaking psychopath because... I would be if I was, like, if I was alive during this time and I had done something or, like, my husband had committed me, I would be psychotic. Yeah. Like, that's insane. That is, like... Yeah. You wonder... I mean, it's obviously a lot more toned down than that nowadays, Mm -hmm. but still, you wonder where this entitlement and, like... Where it came from? Yeah. Like, let's look back at fucking history. We learn from history. (laughs) Also, to make it worse, children who were accompanied by their mothers could be adopted out without consent of the mom. Are so, you like, kidding me? The mom could be admitted with her son, say, and he could be adopted out without telling his mother. Who are these people? And this man thinks he's doing people, a, like, a service? Yeah. Yeah. So... In 1888, two cadavers were actually mummified by a farmer-slash-scientist named Graham Hamrick, and these bodies were on display in a glass-top coffin. They're actually still on display in Barber County Historical Museum in Felipe. I think I'm saying that wrong. Like Ryan Felipe? Maybe. (laughs) There's no meaning there. Let me see how it's spelled. I don't know. I don't know. Felipe? It's in West Virginia, but yeah. Two cadavers were mummified from this period of time, and this Graham Hamrick, the scientist, found out a way to, like, embalm people, or what he thought, at least, was embalming people, and he actually, it worked, and these two bodies are on display from Holy that time period. shit. Yeah. I want to see. Me too. I actually post the pictures. I have them. We'll post them on our Facebook. It's crazy. Oh my god. Do we know if these people died in, like, a humane way? I don't know. Then I don't know if I want to say. (laughs) It's bad. Oh my god. Okay, so jump forward a little bit to the 1950s. This is when it's hospital- the hospital was at its peak number of patients at 2,600, which is 10 times the amount that it was intended. I'm gonna throw up. (laughs) I'm gonna throw up. Yeah. So, the Charleston Gazette sent a group- uh, a crew to investigate the asylum and kind of to expose the conditions, and this is what they found. I'm sorry, but that's enough to drive anyone insane, even if they're not insane. Right? To be, like, in a living situation with that many fucking people. This is, this is horrible. It, like, oh made God. me throw up. I'm scared. Patients were sleeping on the floor in freezing rooms because there wasn't enough furniture or heat. Which, okay, I'm confused. How would you build a place without there being enough heat? You know what I mean? 
Like, yeah, like, no matter how many people are in there, there should still be enough yeah. heat. And there, with more body heat, there should be even more heat. Yeah, so I don't really get that, but... I mean, it was probably all stone, though. Yeah, I don't know. There was also overworked staff that really didn't care about sanitization anymore. Because they were just like, fuck it. Yeah. There was peeling wallpaper from decay and patients tearing it off the walls because of, like, their mental illness. Oh, my God. Like, the book, The Yellow Wallpaper. Yes. That. Exactly. Oh, my God. Um, Oh, my God. I'm horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Grime-covered windows, which made it more eerie. Um, patients deemed, this is horrible, patients deemed unable to be controlled were locked in cages in open spaces, yeah, to prevent, or to give more room to patients that were deemed controllable. I can't talk. I know. Some patients were also chained to walls to prevent them from hurting nurses. Oh my god. Could you imagine walking into this? Women with hysteria were given ice-cold hydrotherapy. Hysteria. Hysteria. Yeah. Quote-unquote hysteria. Hysteria. Let's define hysteria saying probably a woman literally being like, this isn't right. And then being like, you're hysterical. Chain her to the wall. Uh, Exactly. And then patients that were deemed overly melancholy were mad (laughs) or mad were quote-unquote cured with ice pick lobotomies. How would you not be mad living in a place like that? Have you watched any more of Ratchet? No. I'm scared. If it's anything like this, I'm it's scared. It's literally this. Because American Horror Story Asylum was literally... It was horrifying. The, my, my, the most horrifying season to me. That's... This story, I swear to God, is where they got Ratchet's storyline from. Because it's... They used... They do the ice pick lobotomies and... Oh my god, I'm gonna throw up. Yeah, and war vets were given heroin, Thorazine, and bourbon to help with their quote-unquote shell shock, which I assume to be PTSD. These poor people. Yeah. These poor fucking people. They were given heroin. And I get that, like, it was a bad time, like, back then for understanding. No, but then you're also creating an addiction, probably. Yeah. And, like... Or putting them through, like, withdrawals from, like, do, and then they'd probably, I guarantee you, people going through withdrawals, they're like, oh my god, they're having a fit! Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Thinking that they're crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, the asylum was performing experimental lobotomies done by Walter Freeman, he's the surgeon, and he ended up performing 4,000 during his life, and this actually ended up causing most of the deaths of the patients, And I'm going to talk a little bit about lobotomies because I knew about them, but not to this extent. Oh, my God. So, in 1948, the first lobotomy was performed, and this is actually what launched the West Virginia Lobotomy Project. And they had consent from the State Board of Control, which basically funded them and gave them what they needed to perform these. Who who were these people? Well, just remember, like, back in that time, they really did think that they were, like, helping, helping, but... But I'm sure there were also very sick people involved that right. weren't actually helping. Right. So Freeman adapted this transorbital approach of the lobotomy, and this involved entering the brain through the orbitoclast. So that's basically the hole where your eyeball goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you approach un- under the upper eyelid with a very fine pointed rod. <laughs> and you hammer it with a mallet to break through to the skull into the brain. 
I'm horrified. Yeah. Oh so, my god, I have my scream face on. She really does. She looks like oh, you look like Macaulay Culkin <laughs> <laughs> from Home Alone. <laughs> this is horrifying. Yeah. So the idea of this procedure was to move the instrument back and forth to sever the connections between the emotional areas of the brain in the frontal lobe. Hence frontal lobotomy. You've heard that one too. These poor people. So thankfully, the lobotomy project ended in 1955 after the introduction of psychotropic medications. That's just like any medications that are used today or Mm -hmm. just the introduction of medications. And the dispute of the effectiveness of the procedure was made because it wasn't working. If at all, the procedure made uncontrollable patients calm so they could be released, but it removed their personalities most of the time completely. They were kind of like zombies. I don't know if my math's right, but that's only like 65, 70 years ago. Yeah. That's very disturbing. 55, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's so disturbing. So that was in... 55. So, fast forward to 1994. Stop it! I was four. I know. I wasn't born yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's when the asylum closed down. No. 1994. No. And was it still like that up until then? Or were, like, more codes and, like, more codes and proper things put into place. I hope so. I didn't find much about it, but, like, I fucking hope so. 1994? Like, that's way too close for comfort. Way too close. I don't like that. Yeah, so 10 years passed before it was purchased in 2007, and today's owners said that the people bidding for the property had planned to demolish the building, but the owner that actually purchased the building wanted to keep its history alive. Thank God. I think it's a cool building, but, like... So, today, the rooms are still filled with medical equipment and furniture with wheelchairs left in the hallway. Like, it was just, like... so eerie. Left, yeah. And tours have opened for people to see the asylum. Ghost hunters... (laughs) I know. Ghost hunters say they feel the presence of hundreds that have died there. Oh my god. Haunted tours and sleepovers. Sleepovers? Yes. Where do listen. You sleep? Listen. Haunted tours and sleepovers from 9 p.m. You can go from either 9 p.m. to 12:30, 3 or 5 a.m. However long you want to stay. And they range from 40 to $150 per person. Plus the cost of insurance in some cases. What if you get slammed against a wall by a ghost? Slammed against a stone wall? I don't know. Probably just to save their asses. Or from getting tetanus from the creaky old beds they're making you sleep on. So they have shorter flashlight tours during the day. And like I think they have a haunted house now too. And those tickets range from like $10 to $35 if you're not, not wanting to sleep over. But I actually read on their website it was like... Will we be able to... It was uh, q and I was like, will we be able to bring um, our sleeping bags and stuff? And the what? answer was, you won't be sleeping. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I know. I kind of want to go, but I kind of don't because those spirits have to be really freaking angry. Yeah. So this is some stories of spirits um, and just like in general stories of people that have visited. Oh, God. So some... Visitors say that each of the floor has different spirits, like, spirits associated with it and different, like, feelings and vibes associated with every floor. 
which oh my is God. fucking creepy. That's weird because this one with that specific detail ties into my next one. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, and weird. Um, one visitor said her friend, or his or her friend's mom took a picture of in the bathroom, which is where they said there was like a lot of activity, and there was a skeletal figure in the picture. <gasps> Stop it. I couldn't find the picture. I went all over What's Reddit. What's a skeletal figure? I don't know. That's creepy as hell. I know. Like some, like a ghost but looks like a skeleton? I would shit my pants. There's also rumors that Lily, who was a little girl that was born in the asylum, plays oh. with toys there. They, they People have seen her playing with toys. Wait. So she died there too? That's what I was trying to find. Or did she just go back there because... These are all from Reddit, so I don't know uh, how accurate, but, like, she had she had to have died there, Unless right? she, like, visits there because that's where her mom Maybe. was. Jesse was another man that died there um, from a heart attack in the bathtub oh. that he frequently comes around. Civil War soldiers are seen. Um, and then Jim James is one of the popular spirits, spirits that's there. Um, stories include guests staying in his room with a mag light, so I guess just, like, a big flashlight, mm. and she asked Jim to turn on, turn it on, and a few seconds later, the flashlight turned on. Oh my god, I just got the chills. And then she offered him a cigarette, because the tour guide said that he liked to smoke, um, for him to turn it back off, and it went back off. Yeah. Oh my god, I guess This is the craziest one, and then this is the last. I like that. This is the last one. So, Jacob... Ayers, I think that's how you say it, A-Y-E-R-S, was a patient at the asylum in 1892. Ghost Hunters did an episode where they connected with Jacob, and he determined that, like, through the episode that he was rummaging around looking for a beer. I don't know how they determined that, but that's kind of what they got. And patient admission forms were found two years later by the owners. Oh, God. And there was a man named Jacob that checked himself in for alcoholism. (gasps) In delusions, thinking that somebody stole his beer. Shut the fuck up. I know. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I love that. Well, like, no, I don't love that, yeah. that he was there for that, but I love that, like... It his... came through ghost Yeah. Hunters. I know. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's season three, episode one of Ghost Hunters, if you want to watch it. I have a, a link with the video on it. Oh my god. Yeah. I have a ton of crazy pictures and the link with the mummies if you want to see them. Oh my god. It's crazy. That was so good, Kels. Thanks. I got really excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On to my next. Yeah. Okay. So the next one that I'm covering is the Stanley Hotel. Oh. I love this. I love it. Okay. So, the Stanley Hotel is located in Estes Park, Colorado. It's near the Rocky Mountain National Park. It's a colonial revival hotel. It has 142 rooms. Views of Lake Estes, the Rockies, and Long's Peak, which is like a mountain in the Rockies. It was built by Freeland Oscar Stanley. It opened July 4th, 1909. And Freeland Oscar Stanley, you might know like Stanley Steamer. Mm right? Yeah. He was a steam-powered car inventor. Oh. Before this. Okay. Yeah, so Stanley Steamer is him. Makes your home cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) So, the Stanley Hotel was a resort for upper class and 
a health retreat for sufferers of pulmonary tuberculosis. Oh, wow. So Stanley had a life-threatening resurgence of tuberculosis and had gone to Denver, like the Rocky Mountain area, with his wife Flora in March of uh, 1907, I think. Okay. I'm going to get into it. Yeah. In March of, yeah, 1907. No. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say I that? think 1906 it was. Okay, 1906. What? I was going to say, Brynn handwrites her notes and I love it. <laughs> I have to type mine. I'm such a, like, little 90s girl. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, basically, he went with his wife that March to heal from his tuberculosis because they said, like, dry air, sunlight, his diet would help with that. I don't know if that's true or not. You're the PA. (laughs) But that's what they told him back then. Okay. So, by June, he relocated to Estes Park. And his health while he was at Estes Park had improved dramatically over the summer. And by 1907, he was recovered completely. Hmm. Weird. Right? Okay. So, it was then that he decided to begin construction of the hotel. Because he's like, which is now, like, which is why it was a resort, but it was also a health retreat because he's like, this helped me. Yeah. I want to help other people. That's awesome. Yeah. So, the hotel originally with its, like, original construction, only had 48 rooms. But wow. like I said, now it has 142. Okay, so they built it. Yeah. It. So there was the main hotel, and there was also the concert hall. Those were completed in 1909, and the manor was completed in 1910. By 1926, um, Stanley sold the hotel to a private company because he basically wanted help, like, running it. Okay. Like, he was selling it to them to run the whole thing, and he was kind of just going to be in the background. And the venture with this company failed, so in 1929, he purchased it out of foreclosure, and then he sold it to Roe Emery in 1930. Okay. So I'm going to talk about this a little later once I get into, like, stuff that happens there. But in 1911, I'm just going to note there was a gas explosion. Ooh. In the hotel. And a maid was injured and the structure was damaged. Oh, God. Okay. okay? All right. So, just leave that in the back of your mind. It's in there. All right. Okay. <clears throat> so, this is a fun fact that has to do with the Stanley Hotel. In 1974, Stephen King and his wife, Tab- wife Tabitha spent a night at the hotel. And Stephen King was inspired by the hotel's remote location and eeriness. He had a dream during the night, and he woke up with inspiration, got up, lit a cigarette, sat in a chair looking at the Rocky Mountains, and this is a quote from Stephen King, by the time my cigarette was done, I had the bones of The Shining firmly set in my mind. What? <laughs> oh my god. Isn't that freaking awesome? From staying there and having a, oh my god. The Stanley Hotel inspired The Shining. Wow. Let's just throw that out there. That's crazy. Yeah. Stephen King. Wow. Isn't that insane? I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. So, The Shining was published in 1977, and Room 17 of The Overlook, that's what the hotel is called in The Shining. Mm, okay. Um, room 217 is actually a big part of that book, and Room 217 is where Stephen King stayed at the Stanley. 
Oh my god, I'm like picturing scenes from Hotel, like American Horror Story Hotel, and that's just, I don't know, <laughs> it's not right, but that's what I'm picturing. Yeah, so Stan, the Stanley Hotel's most requested room is room 217. Of course! Yeah, but there's more reasons of why. Oh god. Yeah. So, the hotel, sorry, I'm gonna burp. <laughs> this happens like every episode. I think it's my nerves or like just the coffee. I don't know. My hands have been sweating for a long time today. So, all right. Now that we got that out there, okay. Um, the hotel was actually not used for the movie, which Stephen King was pretty pissed off about yeah. because that's like where he like dreamt, literally dreamt up this book. The movie, yeah. yeah. So. Um, it was not used for the movie, but it was chosen as the primary shooting location for the TV miniseries. It was, it was made into a miniseries years later called Stephen King's The Shining. Oh. So this is separate from the movie. Like his version? Yeah. And Stephen King's The Shining was produced by the Warner Brothers and it was scripted by Stephen King. Mm. So basically once he did the show, he's like... Yeah, this whole thing's being filmed here. That's not how I wanted yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's not how I wanted it, so let's redo this <laughs> and film it in the Stanley Hotel. That's great. Yeah. So, in 2015, an open area in front of the hotel, which was, like, the original driveway and where people would, like, sit and chat and walk around and stuff, it was replaced with a hedge maze, which was added to evoke the hotel's connection to The Shining because of, like, the hedge maze in The Shining. Oh, my God. Yeah. Isn't that cool? It's so crazy, the connection. Right. So, the Stanley Hotel is labeled by many... Sorry, I'm losing my voice. <clears throat> is labeled by many as the most haunted place in America. What? And this was even before The Shining was created was written into a book or anything, it was labeled the most haunted place in in America. Wow. So here's the spooky stuff. I'm excited. So several apparitions and weird happenings have been seen. Of course. There has been loud crying voices, footsteps in hallways, tugging on clothing. Freeland Stanley and his wife can be seen dressed in formal clothing. Nope. On the main staircase and in hallways. Nope. (laughs) Like, straight-up, old-fashioned... No. Like, suits and no. gowns. Yeah. Ew. A ghost of a small child calls out to his or her nanny on the second floor. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ew. <laughs> As I said... Okay, now, this is where it kind of ties into, like, what you said, where there's stuff on each floor. Yeah. I have stuff about specific rooms on different floors. Okay. Alright, so if anyone wants to go to the Stanley Hotel and stay in these rooms, this is what you might see. Okay. So, as I said, room 217 is the most famous room in the hotel. Yeah. For more reasons than one. Um, and going back to that gas explosion, a maid named Elizabeth Wilson was lighting gas lamps in the rooms, mm. and room 217 had a gas leak. This was the me- one mentioned from ni- um, 1911. It blew the room apart, and it flung her one story down. Holy shit. Yeah. She survived with a few broken bones and continued to work at the hotel. Why? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But um, people still see her continuing her housekeeping. Ooh, this is literally hotel. <laughs> the maid's there. Maybe they like pulled it from this somewhat. I bet. Yeah. I bet you they did. 
Oh my god, that's yeah. so weird. Okay. And that hotel in California that's haunted too. Yeah. Maybe they got some from that. But she still continu- continues her housekeeping. People return to their rooms and find their luggage unpacked. I would throw <laughs> up all over the room. <laughs> yeah, and like obviously staff nowadays, like you don't touch people's luggage in rooms. It's not staff in 2020 what would you do unpacking your shit if you came into your room and your shit was unpacked yeah unpacked shoes are lined up no and shadows pass through the walls in the room are you kidding no ew so that's room 217 ew all right room 428 there's a friendly cowboy <laughs> good news yeah. everyone a friendly cowboy <laughs> Um, (laughs) a ghost of a cowboy comes to the room in the night he likes to sit in the corner or pace the floor no fuck that he's not friendly he's like tipping his hat (laughs) tapping his shoe people say he's a gentleman he's like a real gentleman i'm sure yeah one couple asked him to leave the room and he did (laughs) and then no (laughs) Ladies have woken to him kissing their foreheads goodnight. No! No! I draw the line. (laughs) I'm gonna say right now, there's a lot of touchy-feely ghost men in this hotel. Of course there is. I'm not going to this one. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go to the other one, but I'm not going to this one. If someone will give me a really good back rub, I won't mind. Excuse me, cowboy. Massage my feet. Rub my feet. (laughs) How did miss Massage my feet. He'd be like, I'm out. She's too high maintenance. <laughs> so then moving on to room four, 418. This one I definitely would not want to be in. Okay. It's haunted by ghost children. Okay. All right. They like to play with different objects in the room. I just don't like creepy little ch- children. <laughs> creepy little kids. <laughs> you like ghost children. That creeps me out. No. Um, lights flicker. Hangers move on their own. Covers are ripped off you during the night. Stop. That's paranormal activity type shit. Should I say what happened to me and Carson at the hotel? Oh my god, yes. Tell, tell. So, I'm not gonna say which hotel. Should I? Probably not. No, we might want to talk about this kind of stuff in another episode. Like, stuff that's happened to us. Should we wait? No, I want... Okay. Tell about it, but don't tell the hotel. Okay, I'm not gonna say what hotel. But me and Carson, who's my fiancé... We shout out Carson. Shout out Carson. <laughs> you finally get your shout out. He's upset that he hasn't gotten it sooner. Um, we were staying in a hotel for his aunt's wedding, and we didn't know that the hotel was haunted. Like known. Yeah, it was it's really like a, known a known haunted, haunted hotel. Yeah, yeah, in the area. We had no idea. We had no fucking clue. So we go back to the hotel room after the wedding, and. We, like, we're a little, like, tipsy, whatever, from the wedding, and we fell asleep, and probably three or four times, <laughs> so weird, <laughs> probably, like, three or four times in the middle of the night, we woke up with our legs hanging off the bed. Like, your body's on the end of the bed on your bed, like, like, your back, the end yes. of your backs were at the end of the bed. And my, yes, and, and your legs, legs were off. off. That's disgusting. And <laughs> we literally don't know why I wasn't freaked the fuck out, but we woke up and we were like, oh, 
this is weird. And we would just like climb back up to the top of the bed and fall back asleep. And Carson was probably like half asleep. And he was like, oh, must be, must be the gravitational pull of the room. And I was like, somehow tired me was like, yeah, that's definitely it. No. And the fact that like you could explain it away if, if it was happening to one of you, like, oh my God, you're like just moving all around tonight. You're being yeah. like, it was both, both of, of you. That's and we went to breakfast the next morning with your mom and somebody else that was at the wedding. And they were like, oh my god, didn't you know this hotel's haunted? And we were, were like, being fuck dra- no! Don't you know you were just being dragged to the end we of the We were bed? being pulled. I guess, like, maybe they were mad because we weren't married and we were sleeping together. I don't know. But it freaked me out and I'm never going back. <laughs> I don't, don't touch me if you're a ghost. No. Just don't do it. Oh it god, freaked that's me creepy out. as hell. Yeah. So, yeah, the cover is being ripped off during the night. I don't think I could handle that. No. So, in room 418, there is also a four-year-old... There's a story of a four-year-old girl and her mom who slept there. And the girl told her mom in the morning that a young boy had tickled her during the night. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. Yeah, and... But he left her after, like, she asked him to stop. He left. And he, like, left her alone. Wow, how respectful of this <laughs> tickling <laughs> ghost. <laughs> ew. That's so odd. Ew, ew. Yeah. All right, so <clears throat> moving on to the concert hall. There's a lot of reports of hearing and feeling ghosts in the concert hall. Yeah. Worker, a worker named Paul used to enforce, like, curfew. Like, that was his job back in the day. And he passed in 2005 after a heart attack at work. So he actually died at the Stanley Hotel. Oh, my God. Yeah. And people can hear him saying, get out. I don't like that. Ew. Get out. Get out now. <laughs> and others have felt him push them out the door into the hallway. Oh, my God. But I guess, like, if that was his job to enforce curfew, like, he's probably just trying to do his job. And he but thinks s- he's still there. Yeah. Oh, God, That's no. still just, like, creepy as hell. Nope. No, thank you. I'm not staying there. Um, The founder, Flora Stanley, was known for her, like piano skills like she was a pianist i said pianist not a pianist. <laughs> <laughs> i need to like announce you yeah um guests can hear music even when no one is in the room like Ew. being played on the piano i knew that was coming yeah and in the concert hall slash basement this next part takes place there's a young girl named lucy and she was found back in the day. There wasn't a date. Um, I'm assuming it's back in the day. Let's hope it is. She was found in the hotel basement looking at, like, construction plans. And staff found out and put her outside in the cold and she froze to death. What? Yeah. I would haunt the place, too. Yeah. Isn't that awful? Oh, poor Lucy. She haunts the concert hall in the basement and guests took a pic of a, and there was a girl in a hot pink dress. And they were in a tour group, and no one in the tour group had that outfit on, and I have the picture to post. What? Yeah. And literally, like you, you can see it? clear as day, clear as day, see a girl in a hot pink dress. Oh my and, God. And, like, they went back and, like, checked. This poor thing. Yeah, and, like, there was no one. I would haunt it, too. Yeah. You go, Lucy. Yeah. So then, uh, let's get to the male ghosts. <laughs> Great. The male ghosts are very touchy to young women Ew. in we're this de- hotel. We're definitely <laughs> not going. 
Yeah, and the one article I read, I actually didn't write it down, but it was like, if you're a young woman and you don't want to be touched, cover up. Ew. <laughs> I was like, what the? Ew. Like, the more revealing you are, I guess, the more the ghosts, the male ghosts want to, like, touch Oh my god, you pervert ghosts. Not that they're, like, squeezing your boobs and stuff, but, like, they they're do? like, okay. So they stroke hair. Ew. Which I wouldn't, I don't think I'd like that. They kiss cheeks. Nope. Um, this, this I definitely don't like. Their hands run, run along the length of the body. Ew. So they're literally, like, just, like, stroking Ew. down a woman's body. Ew. Yeah. I, I don't would, like that. I'd be out in two seconds. I don't like that. I would, like... Karate kick. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever was next to me. Yeah, you'd see me like, people would be like, what wow, girl? That girl needs to go to the asylum you were talking to about. to be exercised. Yeah. Um, and this is really, really odd. Oh, when I was, this has to do with when I was researching this case. Okay. Okay. When I was to the part about writing that description with male ghosts touching young woman, women. Oh my god, no. I was listening to Spotify, and randomly, while I'm writing this, the song If You Wanna Touch Her Ask by Shania Twain came on. What? I almost shit my pants. Ew. I would've shit my pants. If you wanna touch her ask. Isn't that weird? So Shania's telling all you ghosts <laughs> to ask first. Yeah. Isn't that, like, w- we really need weird? They need consent. Oh my god, that's Yeah, terrible. I, like, literally was scared. <laughs> And did you look over your shoulder? No, but I was like, this is just really weird. I have to write it down so I remember. Ew. I don't like that at all. Yeah. So, there's also a man named Lord Dunraven. He was the original owner of the piece of land that the Stanley Hotel was built on. I picture people saying his name like, Lord Dunraven. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Duke of Normandy. (laughs) Normandy. No, Duke of... What's a place in Ireland? I don't. I don't know. Duke of Dublin. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, he was an Irish man, and he haunts room 401. He likes women. He'll wrap his arm around you or play with your hair. And he isn't a fan of men. Good. Men get the feeling of unwelcome when he's around, and he steals valuables while they're out of the room. <laughs> Like, he's like, this is the price you pay to stay. Where does he take them? I don't know. God. Unless it's just, like, a sneaky, sneaky little maid who's like, <laughs> I'm just going to blame it on Lord Dunraven. It's the ghost. It's yeah. Lord Dunraven. Yeah. So then there's room 407, and there's a friendly ghost in room 407. I actually think I'd want to stay in this room. Casper? The Probably. friendly ghost? Yeah. <laughs> um... They were, they've never been seen, whoever this person is, or spirit is, but they seem friendly and caring. A little boy, one story is a little boy kept, like, kicking off his covers during the night, and the ghost would tuck him back in. Oh, I mean, I'd be kind of freaked out, but at the same time, that's, like, nice. They're caring. Yeah. And um, others reported being tucked in, just, like, without kicking the covers off, just, like, they lay down and the thing tucks them in. The thing. (laughs) No, like, I don't know. The apparition. The spirit tucks them in. And this ghost likes to sit on the edge of the bed. So I guess you, like, feel the bed go down or, like, see an imprint on the bed. Because it's never been seen. Yeah. Then there's room 413. A man can be seen sitting in the corner of the room in an old-fashioned suit. 
and this is also creepy, the man's face has been seen multiple times in a blue ball resting outside of the room. Wait. I don't know if this is, like, an orb and it's blue and his face is in it, or if it's an actual ball that shows up with his face in it, but it's a ball with his face in it. Ew. And I'm it's been like, multiple times. I'm picturing, like, those things that people put in their lawns that are, like, shiny. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like that. But why would it be outside of his door? I don't know. Or, like, know. just in pictures? Resting outside of the room. Ew. Yeah, I don't like that. Me either. And then the last one I have is the fourth floor is completely haunted. Um, there's sounds of spirits, children's laughter. I would not like that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I love children laughing in real life, but not... <laughs> not their ghosts. Not, like, spirits. Why not? I don't know. That's just creepy. And party goers, like, returning from, like, a long night. Like, you'll hear them, like, coming in and people open the door and no one's there. Um, children's feet running down the hall, strange lights, and, like, just feeling the presence of pe- someone being there that's not... Whoa. Yeah. And I'm that's the Stanley definitely Hotel. Definitely not going. <laughs> that's the Stanley Hotel. No. That's no wonder not. Stephen King wrote The Shining, right? That's fucking scary. I wonder if, like, that, a like, spirit put that thought into his head while he was sleeping. Because it's kind of odd that he, like, woke up and then he, like, had the basis of his whole story by the time he finished his cigarette. Ew. Probably. They're probably like, I want this story to be told. Yeah. Ew, I wonder if it's an actual ghost story. Oh my god. And it, like, came to him? Yeah. Ooh. Let's hope not, because that would be fucking scary. I know. Okay. So, last haunted story of the episode. I'm excited for this one. Are we gonna have to split this episode into two parts? We might. Like, two and two? We might. Uh, Unless, no, people might not mind. Yeah. Longer episode. Yeah. And this one isn't too long either. This one's pretty short. Do you know who Jean Harlow is? She was an actress. No. Okay. So this is, like, about famous people. Okay. And I didn't know their names because I'm I'm younger. Wait, Jean Harlow. Yeah, so... That sounds familiar, but I don't... I can't picture, like, what her story would be. Yeah, so I'll give you a little history of her. This is about the Jean Harlow house. Jean Harlow was originally known as Harleen Harlow Carpenter. She was born March 3rd, 1911, and she married a man named Charles McGrew, but they soon separated. She then moved to Los Angeles and changed her name to Jean Harlow in 1929. She starred... That's weird. That's two dates that were in mine. Really? Yeah. 1911 and 1989. 1929? Yeah. Oh my god, weird. That's weird. I feel like we're connected with the cases. Yeah, that's weird. She starred in Double Whoopi, which I have no (laughs) idea what the fuck that is, and Saturday Night Kid. (laughs) Sounds like it could be good we X-rated. <laughs> really bad. Well, I mean, she was actually known as, like, a sex figure of her time. Okay, so, so maybe it could it be like really bad. Soft porn or something. Yeah. She became known as the original blonde bombshell. Oh. Yeah. So, in 1932, she married Paul Byrne, who worked for MGM at the time. So he was, like, a pretty well-known person, and he was 22 years older than her. Oh, wow. Which was weird because she was this gorgeous model, sex symbol, and he was, like, this, like, short creepy man, older, and, like, not cute. They were, everyone was very confused by their marriage. But they had connections in the industry. Exactly. So, Paul Byrne bought this luxury home at the address of 9820 Easton Drive in Benedict Cannon, Los Angeles. 
And that was for him and Jean to live in. And it was actually their wedding, his wedding gift to her. Aww. Yeah. And rumors actually said that their marriage had problems from the get-go. Like, it wasn't great. So, fast forward to September 5th of the same year, 1932. Paul's butler found him dead in his bedroom. He was naked with a bullet hole in his head. Oh, my God. And his body was covered, like, drenched in Jean Harlow's favorite perfume. I already know what happened. No, you don't. I thought I did too. (laughs) (laughs) There was a suicide note, and it was said to be written by him, obviously. Uh But his, so his death was ruled a suicide because there was a note. But Paul's secretary said that someone definitely murdered him. Mm -hmm. And... Another one of Paul's employees said that his handwriting on the suicide note was not his and that it was probably forged Mm -hmm. by somebody. So, what do you think's happening? What do you think happened? I think she lured him with sex, murdered him. Okay. And sprayed her perfume on him. Like, fuck you, fuck you. Good theory, but no. no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry, Jean. It's okay. Jean, like, I'm Jean. (laughs) (laughs) That was her spirit coming through you, telling me it's okay. (laughs) Jean was not called to testify because police said she was too hysterical to testify. I love the word hysterical. During this time, I know. Like, it's a bad thing. But the morning of his, when his body was found, there was a bathing suit and two glasses of wine and a drop of blood. (gasps) I know. By the pool. (laughs) I think I know again. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm not going to cut you off. Keep okay. Going. This would insinuate that there he was entertaining a guest because the night of his murder, he sent Jean to stay with her mother for the night, which he often did. I guess that mm-hmm. was like a thing. He's like, oh, honey, enjoy your time. Enjoy your time. Yeah. While I like sleep with this woman. Other right. Woman. So after his death, authorities found out that prior to Paul's death, his common-law wife, which... I didn't know what that was. Her name was Dorothy Millett. Um, She visited him prior to him dying. Mm. So a common law wife is the marriage is legally recognized between two people that have not purchased a marriage license or had their marriage solemnized. Yeah, Timo and I are technically common law married. We've been living together for over seven years. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, they're getting married soon. (laughs) But... So, two days after Paul's death, she, Dorothy, jumped off of the Delta King steamboat to her death. So, my theory is she was the person that he entertained. Oh, yeah. And she felt guilty or something after she killed him and jumped off the steamboat. Well, and she probably sprayed him with the perfume because she's like, This is you. You want to be with this woman? Yeah. Have this woman. Right. So, Jean... Harlow remarried um, Harold Rosson, Rosson, which ended in divorce eight months later. She did not have luck with marriages. The thing is, how the hell did he, like, like you said, like, he was, like, kind of a downgrade for who she was, right? And then he's, like, cheating on her? Yeah. I know. Maybe it was, like, a thing back then? I don't know. So, June 7th, 1937, Jean Harlow died of kidney failure at age 26 while she was filming the movie Saratoga. Oh my god! Yeah, and it was actually rumored, I didn't write this down, but it was actually rumored that 
Paul was like physically abusing her and he kicked her oh my God. in the kidney and it subsequently caused kidney failure, which I don't know. I'm but 26 years old. 26. And she was filming the movie Saratoga and they had to have a body double finish the movie. Oh my God, that is so awful. Yeah. So fast forward to 1963, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring bought Jean Harlow's house and he soon began dating Sharon Tate. Oh. Yeah. Between 1964 and 1966. But then Sharon Tate decided to leave Jay for a director named Roman Polinsky. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets crazy. That ties into Manson. Ye- Shut up. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> well, anyone who, knows, anyone who knows true crime probably caught on, too. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. I agree. Okay, zip. <laughs> 1968. An interview with Sharon Tate conducted by Dick Kleiner. He asked Sharon if there was any, like, supernatural things that happened in this house. Um... And she said that one night when she was sleeping in the bedroom where Paul Byrne died, she had this really weird feeling and then all of a sudden saw a ghostly man in her room that she recognized to be Paul. And he wasn't paying any attention to her at all. He was actually very intent on, like, looking for something. Like, he walked right by her and, like, was looking for something. So she ran out of the bedroom towards the stairs where she saw another ghost that was tied to the staircase and she assumed it to be the ghost of Jay Sebring, which is her ex at the time, the hairstylist, uh-huh. um, because of the way it looked. And she just, she's like, that's Jay. Uh, and his spirit, the spirit had a slit throat. Oh, my so God. So Jay was still alive. Oh, my God. She took this sighting of him as a premonition. I was just going to say she had a premonition. Yeah. Or a warning from Paul. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that she was... was gifted. That was in 1968. So oh, my God. one year later, on August 9th, 1969, Sharon was staying at um, 10050 Silo Drive in Los Angeles. This was only like a six-minute drive away from the Jean Harlow house. Mm-hmm. And she was also pretty close to Jay Sebring's house at the time. And her husband was away, Roman Polinsky was away um, in London doing business. So Jay and some friends were actually staying at Sharon's house in Silo Drive while her husband was away. Mm-hmm. Which is weird, like that's her ex, but I guess they were like on really good terms. So Charles Manson mm-hmm. set up a group of followers to go to Sharon's home and kill everybody inside. Yeah. And the people that were killed were Jay, of course, Sharon... I don't. Abigail Folger, Stephen Parent, and then. Do you know how to say this name? <laughs> Wojcik, maybe? Wojcik Frakowski? Yeah. Frakowski? I don't know. I'm probably wrong. Yeah. So Jay pleaded for them to spare Sharon's life because she was eight and a half months pregnant, yeah. which is horrible. And he was killed because he was defending her. And some rumors say, and I'm not, I didn't find this on all sources, but they say that he was found tied to a wooden post. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, and he died from uh, blood loss, from stab wounds and gunshot wounds. So, like, she definitely had a premonition. Yeah, for sure. Oh, God, if only she knew. Yeah. So, after Jean Harlow's death, people let Well, that... she did. She said she think. She did. She's like, this was a premonition. <sighs> 
and it was a year later. After Jean Harlow's death, people that lived in her house claimed to see ghosts of Sharon Tate and Paul Byrne. And Jean Harlow, Paul Byrne, Sharon Tate, and Jay Sebring all lived in this house at some point in their life and died shortly after. So, like, is this house fucking cursed? Cursed. cursed. Was it Murder House from <laughs> American Horror Story? That I literally, all the cases that we did tied into American Horror and Story. And I'm sorry, but the fact that Manson, like, picked that house, like, was part of the curse where they, like, possessed. Yeah. Well, it wasn't... Even though they were, like, fucked up. They... The Manson um, cult came to Sharon's house at the time, and that wasn't the Jean Harlow house. Oh, It was a different house. But there was also word of a man that killed himself in the guest quarters of the Jean Harlow house and a maid that hung herself. So, like... Oh, God. A lot of people died in this house. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I would not want to live there. No. No. Bad juju. Yeah, I actually posted, there's a link of a short YouTube video that of a guy that's kind of describing the house, and the pictures are just so eerie. Like, so eerie. I, I'll oh post God, those, too. I wish she had listened to her premonition. The, the thing is, is sometimes with premonitions, though, because I get them all the time, mm-hmm. you don't know they were a premonition until, until after the fact. And then you're like, oh, if I had listened to that, that was telling me that. Like, but don't you think, though, that, like... You see somebody... If I saw yeah, that's like knew, That's, like, hardcore premonition. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, that was good, Kels. Thanks, you too. Thanks. I really liked yours. Thanks. We did good. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully everyone liked them. Yeah. On that note, um, an hour and 20 minutes later... <laughs> I could literally do this all night. Yeah. But you probably don't want to listen we'll to We'll tie it. these in more once in a while because we... We need to... We want to break it up sometimes yeah. from the cases and the... Like, the cult, like, we want to lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah. Even though it's still kind of, like, creepy, but... We can laugh a little bit about it. Yeah. If there's any haunted places or personal stories that you guys have, let us know, and we can possibly have you talk. Yeah. We want to have more guests and, um, like, more stories like this incorporated. We actually have a couple surprises coming for you guys that we're really excited about. And really some, excited. Some of it has to do with this kind of stuff. <laughs> Alright, until next time. Bye, guys. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook